You're listening to True Vine Church Community Podcast. We hope this message sparks and sustains revival with your relationship with Jesus. For more information about True Vine, visit truevinephiladelphia.com. Hi, True Vine. This is Pastor Jim. I am sorry that I can't be with you this morning, uh, but I wanted to take a moment to greet you and just introduce our preacher for today, Emily Santiago. Now, uh, I feel strongly that the New Testament teaches that elders, primarily elders, are given oversight of a local church. In fact, the word elder means overseer. And elders are given oversight of a local church, and that includes essentially everything. That's the spiritual care, that's the vision and the direction, that's the stewardship. But uh, the New Testament gives a strong emphasis to the preaching and teaching and doctrine of a church. But while elders are given the oversight of the preaching and teaching, that does not mean that preaching and teaching is done exclusively by elders, or at least it does not necessarily need to mean that. You may have noticed that here at Truvine we take a team approach to preaching. In fact, Emily will be the 10th person to preach in the last 10 months at Truvine, and about 7 or 8 of those preachers are people from our own congregation. And so we have pretty much always had a team approach, and this is something that we've been doing uh, our entire existence. And so today, Emily is one of those team members. Uh, She is here at the invitation of our elders, and Emily has the gift of teaching. She and I have met. We have gone over manuscripts. We have planned together. She's been part of our team that kind of laid out this whole sermon series, and I am really excited uh, to hear from her. And so I have full faith in Emily and what she's going to share with us today. I know that you are going to benefit from this, um, and I want to pray for you, and I want to pray for Emily, and then I'm going to hand, I'm going to metaphorically hand the microphone off to her. Jesus, I bless Emily. I know that you have given her this gift of teaching, that she has gone Uh, from teaching small groups to teaching in our women's uh, ministry to teaching during our Good Friday services, and you have continued to bless this ministry. And so, Lord, as she has uh, demonstrated her qualifications and her Christ-like character and her willingness to put in preparation, we bless all of that. And, Lord, we expect to receive from you through her. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, see you next Sunday. Go get them, Emily. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm excited to be here, and this is an honor and a privilege. And um, so, yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and uh, we're going to get into some really good stuff this morning. Uh, Before I got married, before I moved to Philadelphia, I lived in Lancaster County for a little while, and I was a young, rich social worker. All right, maybe not rich, uh, but I was young, and I was a social worker, and I worked for a nonprofit organization that worked with young, single, uh, homeless mothers uh, who were needing to find housing and stability in what they were doing in life. And so I would work with them for 12 to 18 months, Uh, finding resources and helping them kind of get their feet um, on the ground. And we partnered with local community churches uh, that would create a mentoring group for each of these families. 
And one of my favorite parts about this process was what they call the house blessing. So when a mom would get into an apartment or housing of some kind, the mentoring group and myself and uh, this family would get together in this home and we would bless this home for this young family. And I'll never forget, uh, we had a young mom with two little girls, uh, got into an apartment and we matched them with an older Mennonite group from uh, Lancaster County. And uh, house blessings can look really different depending on what denomination we were partnering with, uh, what cultural background the family was coming from. So we took all of those things into account. Uh, But this one particular house blessing that we had, uh, we got together and I did the traditional, I brought them flowers and a gift and just welcomed them to their home. And the group said, we really as a group wanna bless this home with some songs uh, because that was a big part of their culture. And so I looked at the mom and she looked at me. I'm like, okay, all right, let's, okay, go for it. So we go to uh, one of the bedrooms and the group uh, pulls out their little booklets and they sing this beautiful hymn. I mean, all the harmonies and the parts and the, it was beautiful. The little three-year-old kind of picked up on what was going on and she said, well, can we sing Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star? And I mean, how do you deny that? I mean, this group is like, of course we can, sure. So the group sings Twinkle Twinkle Little Star with this little girl, and everyone thinks this is a great idea, um, but they didn't know that they had started something. So every room that they went to, they they had a song that they wanted to sing to dedicate the room, but then this little three-year-old would make her request. And I have a very vivid memory of about 10 to 12 grown adults trying to squeeze into this little bathroom to bless this room of their home. We got a guy in the tub and a girl like wrapped around the toilet and we're all squeezed in there. And of course, wouldn't she request old McDonald? (laughs) And it was adorable. I mean, it wasn't about the words of the hymn being sung over that room that blessed the home. Uh, right? So this family now has a vivid memory of this group of adults humbling themselves in each room of their home to bless that space in the language of their three-year-old. Today we're going to look at two family units in the Bible that created a legacy of blessing. They did this through obedience to God and remembrance of his goodness. A legacy of blessing through obedience to God and remembrance of his goodness. Now, before we begin the stories, I think it'd be valuable to take a step back and look at the cultural context of what we're going to be reading in Genesis. Their their culture was fairly different than ours in many ways. And one of those ways is that they were more of a tribal culture than a bureaucratic culture. So what that means is, for us, in a bureaucratic culture, we look to the government to provide um, support for the marginalized and the vulnerable, for our justice system. We look to them uh, for economic opportunities. But uh, in a tribal culture, it was all about the family unit. Uh, That family unit is where you um, took care of business, you um, took care of justice, And uh, they provided for each other, sharing all of their resources. So the basic family unit in the Israelite culture, or the culture at this point in time, um, was known as the father's household. And the Hebrew word for that is bayit av. 
Uh, it's kind of like our term for extended family. So um, the oldest male in the family would be the patriarch. Uh, and so it would be him, his wife, um, his unwed children, his sons, if they were married, and their wives and their children, um, maybe a mother of the patriarch. It was pretty common to have about three generations of people living together in the same family unit. Uh, we have a picture uh, for you that is an idea of what that might have looked like in the rural setting. So if you were outside of a, a busy area, the uh, homes might have been separated, but they would have been together and you'd all be sharing space. If you were in more of a condensed area, it would be kind of like more of a square or U-shaped unit where you would share units of living space with a courtyard in the middle. The patriarch held the legal and economic responsibility for this whole household, the Bayat Av. So when the patriarch passes on, when he dies, the oldest male in line would receive a double blessing of the inheritance. I heard it kind of explained like, imagine Christmas morning, you're a kid and you run down the stairs to look under the tree and you see all the presents out um, and you realize that they're not all like equally distributed like you thought they should be, but the oldest child has a mountain of presents as opposed to the rest of you. Now, if some of you are the oldest, my oldest was in the first service and her face lit up, right? <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. But I am the youngest of three, and I can tell you that would not have gone over so well in our home. Uh, but this double portion didn't always cause tension and frustration in the homes there because he wasn't getting a double portion as a favorite of the father. He was getting a double portion because he was now taking over responsibility of the Bayat Av. It was now his responsibility to provide protection and care and provision for this whole family unit. One more thing to understand is how women were viewed in this society. Uh, a woman or a girl born into a family would have been known as her father's daughter. That's how she was known. Uh, when she gets married, she's known as her husband's wife. And then um, hopefully she would be able to bear children and have a son and she would be known as her son's mother. This was so that she would have provision and protection in the society. Um, so it was really critical for a woman to find a husband and be able to bear children, specifically a son, so that she would be able to be guaranteed a place in a bayat av of a family and have covering protection for her life. Um, we're going to be looking at Genesis, uh, going from Genesis 17 up to Genesis 35. I'm going to go through. I'll have scripture on the screen, but if you want to kind of be in the Bible and kind of follow along as I just skip around to a couple different stories, that's where we're going to be planted for this morning for most of our time. We're going to be looking for three different things. We're going to be looking at how do they live in a culture of blessing? What are some roots of bitterness that you may notice have been sown in? And what are the moments that are remembered and marked for what God had done for them? So we're gonna begin with Isaac. Isaac was the firstborn son of Abraham and Sarah. He was literally born into and the carrier of the blessing of God in Abraham's life. When God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17, he specifically spoke about Isaac 
being the son of Sarah. In verse three, it says, Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Now, in case you were prepared for all stories with happy endings and rainbows, thank you, Noah, uh, there was a vein of bitterness and hostility in the family line of Abraham. You may remember last week, Jim spoke about the story of Abraham and Sarah being old in age. And despite the promise God had given them, uh, they started to wonder how he was gonna fulfill this. And so Sarah gave her maidservant to Abraham and said, make an heir with this woman. Um, when Isaac was finally born to Sarah, later in their years, uh, Ishmael, who was born to Hagar, would have been about 14. He'd been a young teenager. And it said he began mocking Isaac and became very bitter. Ultimately, Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert, outside of the Bay at Av. Genesis 25 tells us that the family of Ishmael uh, in verse 18 it says that they lived in hostility toward all the tribes that were related to them. There are some veins of bitterness that are run through this family. Genesis 22 says, Sometime later, God asked Abraham to take his one and only son to a mountain and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. There is a lot to say about this story. I'm going to stick to just a couple points about it. Um, Abraham had been... Uh, told by God to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. Um, <clears throat> we do know that Abraham had faith in that moment, that God had a plan. Uh, Hebrews eleven nineteen tells us that Abram reasoned that God could even raise the dead. I mean, I don't know where he got that kind of faith. I don't know where he had seen that. But he knew that God had promised it, it was gonna be despite what he's asking me to do. So he takes him up to the mountain and, uh, with the supplies. And as he's right about to sacrifice him, God stopped him and provided a ram in his place. This was a test. Genesis twenty-two thirteen. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain, the Lord, uh, of the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham was blessed because of his obedience in faith. 
Now, this is not only significant for Abraham and his direct family, but this is also really significant for you and I today. In Galatians 3, Paul's speaking to the church of Galatia in the New Testament, and he says, so also Abraham, because they would have known these stories in the histories, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations would be blessed through you so, that, so those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That means that way back in Genesis, when God is blessing Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless all nations through you, that includes us. Not because we're Jewish people, not because this is our sacred history of story of family line, but because he has made a way to graft us in as Gentiles and now we are be part of that line of blessing. Uh, whenever we see uh, someone name a place or mark something with an altar or a pillar, I'm just going to put um, a stone as a similar representation of that here uh, as we go along in our story. So Isaac grows up. Uh, he gets to be about 40. His mother passes away, and Abraham recognizes that it's time to find him a wife. Uh, he wanted to be sure that his son didn't marry a Canaanite woman, and this probably wasn't because of race or ethnicity issues. It was probably because of the gods, the foreign gods that they worshipped and wanting to keep them uh, worshippers of the one true God. So Abraham, Abraham sends his servant to Nahor, where his family lived, and this is like a little love story straight out of your Hallmark Channel playbook. <laughs> he goes to the well... He, uh, the servant asks God for a very specific thing. She, if she says the right thing, I'll know. And the first woman that walks up happens to be from the family line of Abraham. Um, she says the exact thing that he asked God for. And so he knew as a sign that this was from him. This was a step of obedience that this servant took. Um, and it might have made him look like a fool, but that's what he did. So uh, God had, or Abraham had been very specific and he said to his servant, uh, make sure you don't bring a woman back unless she's willing to be brought back as a wife. So uh, he asks this woman and the family asks her, are you willing to go to be this man's wife? And she says, yes. It's a love is blind moment right? They haven't seen each other. She knows nothing about him, but she has agreed to move away from her bayat of, to move into his, and to be his wife. Uh, her family sends her off, but doesn't just send her off. They send her off with a blessing. And they say, our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Um, in Genesis 26, after Abraham's death, Isaac now becomes the patriarch of the family. It says that there was a famine in the land. The natural thing to do would be to go down to Egypt to get food, to get provisions. But God told uh, him to stay where he was and that he would bless him. And Isaac chose to obey God in that moment. Despite there being a famine in the land, uh, he stayed and God blessed him greatly. 
His crops grew a hundredfold, his flocks grew, and he became very wealthy. So we see how Isaac's household was living in a culture of blessing. We also see that there was some bitterness woven in. Uh, And I want to take a second before moving on to Jacob, uh, because part of building this legacy is also remembering what God has done and remembering his goodness. An example of that is in Genesis 26. After Isaac had become very wealthy, he went up to Beersheba. In 26:24, it says, That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called in the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. He builds an altar. So Isaac built a legacy of blessing in his family through obedience to God and through remembrance of his goodness. Now, when Isaac was 40, see kind of a pattern going on. Uh, He was 40 when he married Rebecca. And Genesis 25 tells us that they were childless for 20 years. It's a tiny verse in the Bible, but I'll tell you, time doesn't move any different than it does now. If you think about where you were at 20 years ago, it's 2003, in case you don't want to do the math. Uh, That's a long time to wait to have a child, to have an heir, especially when your social standing completely depended on that one thing. So they turned to the Lord. They knew the promise that God had made. And in Genesis 25, 21, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered her prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. And she gave birth to twins. Here's where Jacob enters our story. Now, you might be familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau. This is a pretty famous one from Sunday school classes and children's churches. Um, Some of the details. So Esau was the oldest. Uh, He was a skilled hunter. He um, was the father's favorite. Jacob was the second born, like literally born seconds later. But he was the second born, and he stayed home, and he was the mother's favorite. So when Isaac was old and nearing death, it said his eyes were weak. Um, He called in Esau and said, you are the oldest. Go hunt me some game. Make a stew. I'm going to bless you and pass on this blessing. So um, he goes out to hunt. And Rebecca hears this and is like, oh, if if Jacob is going to take on this blessing, like this is the moment. So she calls in Jacob and says, I'm going to create the stew. You go get some goat skin, put it on your neck, put it on your arms. I don't understand I don't know. Esau was much hairier, but okay, it worked. Uh, So he puts on the goat skin and he covers himself. uh, And Isaac's eyes were weak, so he didn't know. And Jacob comes in with the stew, pretending to be Esau. And I mean, he's trying to play the part, but uh, Isaac's like, you have the voice of Esau. Like his ears were fine. He's like, you sound like Esau, but you feel like, or yeah, you, you, um, you have the voice of Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And Jacob said, or and then he was surprised. He's like, how did you hunt the game and make the stew so fast? You came back so quickly. And, and Jacob says, the Lord your God 
gave me success. Catch that. The Lord, your God, gave me success. Isaac is fooled. He gives the blessing of the firstborn to Jacob. Right after Jacob leaves, Esau comes in. Ah, everybody figures out what has just happened. But once a blessing is given, it can't be taken back. So Esau cries out with a loud and bitter cry. Jacob ends up giving Esau a secondary blessing, uh, what he can give him. But Esau held a grudge against Jacob, and it says he planned. Once his father was died, he was going to take out Jacob and take back what was rightfully his. Rebecca learns that Esau is plotting murder. Uh, so she convinces Jacob to send Isaac off to her family line to go find a wife. They send him off with a blessing. In Genesis 28, 3, it says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham because he got that blessing. So that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So, so far in Jacob's upbringing, all we're seeing really is manipulation, competition, lies, stolen blessings. Chapter 28 begins Jacob's probably first journey away from home. Remember, he's the one who stayed home with the mom all that time. As night comes, he sets up camp and he goes to sleep. And he has an incredible encounter with the Lord. Genesis 28, 12. He had a dream in which he saw a staircase resting on the earth with its top reaching heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took a stone uh, that he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured out oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is really significant. Jacob had an encounter with God. God makes a promise to him. And Jacob makes a vow to the Lord. No longer is it your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, but Jacob is saying that should this be fulfilled, you will become my God. Maybe you're here because of the God of your family. Maybe you're here because of the God of your friends or the God of the community that you're comfortable with. 
But maybe you haven't made him your God. He is here today, and I just want you to know that he wants to be found. He wants to be your God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Now, just because you make a commitment to God, it does not mean that the rest of your life is going to go simply or easily um, as you might hope. Jacob is just getting started on his journey of manhood. He arrives at Paddan Aram and sees a well in the open country. I don't know uh, exactly what it is about wells, but they seem to work out pretty well for the men in their family. So the first woman he sees, he inquires about and learns that she is from the family line, which at that point is good, if you'll remember. Uh, And she's beautiful. So he uh, sees Rachel and uh, ends up falling in love. Now, uh, Rachel goes back to her father Laban and says, this is what happened. Um, And so he brings Jacob in because he's from the family line and seems like maybe this is from the Lord. Um, So they stay for about a month, and um, Jacob tells him, I am in love with your daughter, and I want to marry her. So Jacob says, "Um, that's fine. Uh, You need to work for me for seven years, and then you can marry her. Um, Rachel had an older sister named Leah, and Leah uh, had, they say she had weak eyes, is how she's described. I didn't write it. It wasn't, (laughs) I didn't write it. Um, which probably means she couldn't see well. She probably wasn't easy to find a partner for to marry off. Uh, So um, he works for seven years for Laban. And comes the wedding time, and they have the wedding. And then the next morning he wakes up and realizes he has been tricked, and he married the wrong girl. I know. Laban, so the wedding garments uh, include a pretty heavy veil. You didn't, I guess you didn't really see who you were marrying at the time. Uh, and so Laban marries the wrong daughter off to him on purpose. And he goes to Laban and is like, dude, what is the deal? I just worked for seven years for this. I'm not in love with Leah. And Laban says, well, you're right. But according to culture, I can't marry off the younger one until I marry off the older one. I mean, he could have mentioned that, right? But um, so he says, finish out the week with Leah. Make sure this marriage goes through and is finalized. And then if you, I'll let you marry Rachel if you agree to work for seven more years. But Jacob is in love. So he says, yes. Uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, that's what the Bible says, he enabled her to conceive But Rachel remained childless. Is anyone catching this theme of barrenness going on? We have Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, all who are women that were told that they would carry the blessing, the future generations, as numerous as the stars and the sand on the seashore. They were all completely dependent on God to open their wombs at the right time. So this becomes a baby birthing battle. Um, The women start to have children. Um, Now remember, this is a big deal in this culture. This is your social standing. So Leah ends up giving birth uh, first. She has four sons, each of which she names things like 
Now my husband will finally see me. Now he will finally love me. He'll pay attention to me now. Um, he didn't. Spoiler alert. Uh, so there's four sons. Then Rachel gets really jealous, and she gives him her maidservant, uh, Bilhah, who has two sons. And then Leah uh, sees what's going on. She gives him her maidservant, who has two more sons. I did not write this. <laughs> Uh, Leah has two more sons, and a daughter named Dinah is born somewhere in this. And then uh, Rachel finally gets pregnant and gives birth to a son named Joseph. Um, this is the beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. Just putting that out there as a note uh, that God can take some really messy situations and do something really incredible with it. So things start to get tense between Jacob and Laban. Jacob wants to leave with Laban's blessing. Laban is realizing that he's blessed by the Lord. Uh, They're both receiving the benefits of this blessing. Uh, So Laban says no. But through a series of events that I recommend you go read because they're very interesting, uh, but we don't have time to cover this morning, Laban realizes he can't stop Jacob from leaving. So he sends his daughters and grandchildren off and he blesses them. Laban and Jacob gathered stones and piled them in a heap. And this was to mark the peace treaty between them and to set up a boundary of like, I won't go past this to harm you and you won't go past this to harm me. Uh, We have a picture uh, to put up of what a pile of stones may have looked like. This is a pile of stones from Judea of what that could have looked like. It uh, wasn't real pretty, but it did the job. Uh, Jacob named this place Galid, which means heap of testimony or evidence. And in the modern Hebrew, Galid means Karen. So if you're familiar with like people who go hiking, they might have like uh, stacks of rock piled on top of each other that different hikers add to know that like you're going in the right direction. Um, That's kind of a similar idea where they like build, um, build evidence of what something has happened here. It's like a milestone. If I had more time, I would recount to you more stories that didn't quite make the children's Bible. Uh, There are several stories that are never painted on a nursery mural and might make me slightly uncomfortable to talk about in front of all of you out loud. Um, But each of those stories are included for a reason. And I would encourage you this week to take some time and go back and read the stories of these families and how God worked through those situations in the good and the bad. Uh, What I do want to mention is that Jacob did have some other encounters with God that he marked. In Genesis 23, it says that angels of God met with Jacob. We read that he actually wrestled God one night, and God touched his hip so that he forever after that walked with a limp. He changed his name from Jacob to Israel. In Genesis 35, God sends Jacob back to Bethel, the place where he first encountered God. And God speaks to him there and repeats his promise. Genesis 35, 11 says, And God said to him, I am God Almighty. And if you'll remember that promise of like, I'm going to bring you back here, he did it. God fulfilled that promise of your journey, I'm going to provide for you all of that time, and yet you will come back. I am God Almighty, 
Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Jacob marked the places where he heard from God with altars and pillars of stone. And it wasn't just the happy things that happened or the peace treaties, but also moments of grief and loss. One verse says um, that Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and they buried her under a tree outside of Bethel, and they named that the Oak of Weeping. When Rachel died in childbirth, giving birth to the youngest of 12, who was named Benjamin, they set up a pillar over her tomb. He made sure that those moments were marked for people to remember. Jacob left a legacy of blessing in his family through obedience to God and through remembrance of his goodness. So how do we leave a legacy of blessing in our family, in our community, in our homes? We can also do that through obedience to God and through remembrance of his blessing. We can do that with our words and with our actions. Our words really matter. What we say, what we speak over people, they matter. If what you said to someone sticks, if you knew that would stick with them, how would that impact their life in the future? For the past five years, I've had the privilege of working with the Empower program, which is a leadership development program for women through the Alliance Theological Seminary. And uh, we've had about 50 women go through our site, which is part of a bigger global program. Part of that process is confronting lies in your life that you have believed and speaking the truth of God over those lies. It's very powerful. Um, I'm only telling you this because these women who have come to the program are strong women. Uh, they are women who are leaders in their church. They are the pastor's wives. They are um, the women who are leaders in their community, um, elected officials. But each one of them has had to confront some lies that they have heard and believed in their life. Things like when I was 10, Somebody told me that I was too fill in the blank. When I was younger, I was told I was never going to be able to do fill in the blank. And I believed that. And so now as a grown woman, I believed that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worth enough. I wasn't qualified. I was never going to be able to do this. Those lies stuck because we have an enemy, right? And the enemy, Satan, is the father of lies. And so if he can get a lie to stick to you at any point in your life, it's going to be an obstacle to the calling of God and how you walk that out. Our words over people matter. Um, Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. We aren't called in obedience to just bless the people that we like, the people that are easy. We are called to bless everyone and to bless those even who are not nice to us and may even persecute us. So some practical ideas of blessing. Um, I always think uh, birthdays are a really natural time to bless someone 
Instead of just saying happy birthday, think of a way that you can speak blessing over their life. What have you seen God do in their life? What do you pray that God will do over this next year for them? Um, in our culture, this milestone, someone uh, gets a promotion at work. How can you bless them in that moment? How can you listen for what the Lord is saying? How can you look at the truth of the scripture and speak a blessing over that person's life? Each night before bed, uh, we intentionally uh, bless each of our little girls before they go to sleep. A personalized blessing for each one of them because we want to be intentional about speaking truth and blessing over them. And we can also leave a legacy of blessing um, with our actions through obedience and through remembrance. The stories of the Old Testament brought some really serious consequences for disobedience. The New Testament too. And I think as we look at grace and mercy and love, sometimes we lose sight of just how absolutely holy our God is. A God so holy that he required the sacrifice of his one and only son to take the punishment for us. That whoever would believe would be saved. Galatians 3.14 puts these things together. And he says, he redeemed us in order that the blessing that was given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus and you commit your life to him, making him your God, not just someone else's God, he forgives you, he adopts you into his family, he marks you with the seal of the Holy Spirit as a deposit and a guarantee. If you haven't made that commitment yet, today, to make him your God, he is here and he wants to be found. We have people available to speak with you if you have questions or if you just want to out loud declare that, that today is the day that I'm committing that. Um, you can talk to myself or to Pastor John Eric or a staff member. How do we remember? How do we remember what God has done? Some encounters with God you can't forget. I don't know if you've had some of those, but it's like you can't forget it if you tried. But then there are other times when God does things for us in life that we can forget. The Israelites forgot a lot of things in their journey. If I don't write things down at this point in my life, I may not remember. Uh, so I do write down a lot of things. I have a simple journal where if someone prophesies over me or my family, they speak a word, if someone gives us a verse, if I have a moment with the Lord, if he brings a verse to mind for a season of my life, I write it down. And that way I can go back to it and remember what he's spoken, remember what he's given me, uh, remember um, the place where I can find him in that moment. You might not be a dear diary kind of person, that's okay, but you can keep it simple. Make a note on your phone. Write it down. Uh, you might highlight verses in your Bible as you're reading and something sticks out to you, um, marking that or uh, some notes in there. Uh, some people write songs. Some people paint paintings. Some people get tattoos of things that are monumental moments in their life. By retelling the story or getting something like a piece of jewelry 
that marks a moment in your life where you've encountered God or grief that you want God to be um, part of in remembering. We might not have the ability to control what happens to us in life and we might not be able to control the narrative that's told about us after our life is over. But today could be a day when you make a commitment and you say, I am now going to leave a legacy of blessing in my home, in my block, in my community, and in my workplace. And I'm gonna do that by walking in obedience to God and remembering what he has done for me. I've asked Rachel and the worship team to close our service out this morning with a song called The Blessing. Uh, this was a lullaby that, it came out, I think around the time when I had our youngest daughter, Abby, and so I would sing this out of the lullaby over her at nighttime, uh, and the girls picked up on that. Uh, some worship songs we sing are just directly from us to God. God, you are so good. Um, the worship songs that we sing vertically. And then there are some worship songs that we can sing horizontally. Uh, over each other. We can sing that over ourselves. We can sing that over our family, over our friends, over our block. Um, this song comes out of a priestly blessing in Numbers 6. Numbers 6, 22. says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. As we sing this, I encourage you to think about the moments in your life that you could mark with a new name or that you could mark with a stone because you have encountered God and he did something for you or he just was with you. Sometimes blessing doesn't mean that we gain something materially. materially. Sometimes blessing means we just have his presence as we walk through what we're walking through. Today, as we close, instead of saying a prayer with you, I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we go. Um, so you can take whatever posture you want to receive that blessing. You can hold your hands out. Uh, you can just listen Romans 15, five and six. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you.